Welcome to episode number five of Entrepreneur Iowa. I'm your host, Dan Tooker. Thanks so much for listening. We greatly appreciate it. We're going to jump right to our guest because it's a good one and especially relevant considering where we are with COVID-19. Joining us this week is Kyle Doyle of Iowa Distilling Company. Hello. Hello. Welcome, <laughs> welcome, welcome. Um, Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Great to be here. So uh, we always start this off the, the same way. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, college, where you grew up, family, etc. Oh, all that fun jazz. Yeah. Right? Well, I'm actually originally from Cumming, Iowa. Everybody loves Cumming, right? Yep. That's what they say on our water tower, at least. Uh-huh. Uh, and I went to West Des Moines schools, uh, went to Dowling High School, uh, was able to win a state championship football there. Uh, you know, All right. One, one Shout the, out. The very first one. Nice. Uh, back in 2001. Gosh, I'm old. Uh, after that, I decided that I was going to uh, venture very, very far away to Warren County and go to school at Simpson College. Okay. So I'm, yeah, uh, you just really branched out. Yeah, yeah, you know, going to, to, to school 15 minutes away from my house. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was really nice when I needed laundry done. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so uh, I had that privilege, and Simpson was a perfect fit for me. If I would have gone to one of the big schools, I would have been lost. Simpson was just that natural fit for me. Did so, you play ball at Simpson? Uh, I did not. I did not. I didn't really uh, play on the starting team of Dowling anyway because, well. But you got the ring. <laughs> but I got the ring. All yeah. right, nice. Uh, so I uh, went to Simpson uh, and just loved it over there. Came back and actually worked for uh, our family company uh, for the better part of a decade. And that family company ended up getting sold to a venture capital firm out of California. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had built that company, or my dad had built two companies. This one that I worked for, uh, he had built from a person just working in a closet uh, all the way up to selling it with over 100 employees in there. And so it was really kind of fun to watch him. And that kind of had me, uh, got the bug for building things, building companies and building companies specifically in Iowa, because I think that Iowa has such a unique uh, unique talent set. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of people that are willing to do the work. They're brilliant and they're willing to figure out how to make things work. And it's uh, it's one of those things where I love seeing uh, seeing Iowa companies start and build and be proud of where they're from instead of going off to some of the coasts just right. because everybody has to leave Iowa after they graduate from high school. Isn't that the, the yeah. mantra? I got to go to Chicago. I got to go to USC. I got to go to mm-hmm. Kansas. Of all places, people want to go to Kansas. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Rock Chalk Jayhawk basketball. Right? There you go. <laughs> but, you know, uh, you the reason we ask the same question every every time is because there's an underlying theme and at the time this is being recorded nobody's heard any of the podcasts yep. we're right now we're stockpiling podcasts to be honest with you Good and you. um so we're stockpiling them but uh, what we find out is entrepreneurs their family has a huge part to play in their entrepreneurship For sure. and um so what kind of business did your your mom and dad have, or your dad have, or mom, or who had the business? You said family business, so yeah, it was a family business. Uh, my dad actually started off. He was born and raised in Min- uh, He was uh, raised up in Minneapolis. Okay. And my mom moved to Minneapolis. That's where they met. Okay. And he ended up uh, selling computers uh, for a company out of Minneapolis, and he got put in Iowa. Right. Right. So he was a guy that actually uh, sold computers to car dealerships. 
Oh, okay. Yep. And so it was when the inventory, you needed a computer for inventory. You didn't need a whole bunch of uh, internet browsing or anything like that. Right. So he sold the software for it. Uh, he actually sold the hardware. So oh, okay. He was selling the printers that had the nice ribbons on yeah, the sides yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that fun jazz. Right. right. Uh, and he ended up becoming one of the better salesmen uh, in the whole country. And uh, he saw a need where all these car dealerships didn't need the latest and greatest technology. They needed functional technology. So he actually started a company buying old used computers, refurbish, refurbishing them, and then finding a place for them uh, out in the market. Very so, good. Uh, he actually started a company uh, back in 1983, I believe it was. Uh, that's still around today, CST, uh, Combined Systems Technology. Uh, they are now a networking company out of Clive and a uh, fantastic business model that's just developed and it's changed over the years as technology has changed as well. But that's where he started. Uh, and I don't know how deep you want me to get into no, this. No, no, I think that's great. Um, and what did mom do? Uh, mom actually worked for the family business. She, she helped out and she was working, uh, kind of doing odd jobs while she was raising us. Uh, well, the business was beginning to grow, and then she ended up working in the accounting department. They started building that business up. Uh, the whole background to that uh, and the question you originally asked was the company that I worked for. Uh, funny enough, we actually uh, manufactured and distributed ignition interlocks, the breathalyzer to go into your car after you get in the Oh, WR. okay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what happened was there were two employees that were uh, in the computer brokerage firm that got OWIs in Iowa. Iowa was one of the first states to mandate these ignition interlocks. They ended up looking into it, not liking anything that was on the market, so they went to University of Iowa and uh, worked with their program, then University of or Iowa State University, excuse me, Iowa State was first, then they went to University of Iowa graduate program, and they developed the very first fuel cell ignition interlock device for the country. So if somebody doesn't know what it is, explain yep. what it is. Uh, ignition, ignition interlock is a breathalyzer. It's the breath sample that you give in order to be able to start your car after you've been uh, convicted of an OWI, a lot of it. Okay. So this is, this is big stuff. This yep. is, I mean, this is not like, hey, you know, mom and pop have like an orchard out back. You know, we sell some <laughs> vegetables. We could, you know, sell some corn on the weekend. I mean, this is, this is, this is big stuff. Yeah. And the wonderful part about it was it got me to see from conception into action, uh, being able to work with people, seeing different personalities that have gone through the company, being able to see different leadership roles going through the company. Uh, between CEOs and CFOs and sales reps and VPs of sales. Because right. even though it was a, a company of 100 plus people, we still had a family feel. And so I was able to develop relationships with a lot of these people and get to know some of the personality traits and some of those things. And my dad was very big on uh, the people are what make the, make the business. And so it's really cool when he came to Simpson and actually was teaching at one of the business classes. Oh, wow. Uh, just because they asked him to come in, and his whole lecture was based on uh, the theory that there are four types of people out there. There's good people that act good, there's good people that act bad, there's bad people that act good, and then there's bad people that act bad. And the uh, one that you have to work, worry about the most are the bad people that act good. And so you get to see those all different types through 30 wow. years of business, being able to kind of see this whole process. And it also got me into a position where uh, I was actually developing a lot of the uh, relationships in different states. So my job was uh, at the end, I worked my way through everything from shipping to repair to uh, sales to customer service. And then I'd actually go out to states when they were getting ready to do different legislations, and I'd work with the legislators to put uh, laws that were actually effective. 
So I had a very good background in that legislative aspect. And that's what the distilling industry needed. So mm-hmm. when we ended up selling that company, kind of separated ways because, well, that's what happens sometimes. Right. And I was looking for, uh, I was looking for the, ne- the right business, not just the next business. I was looking for something that I could be proud of and that I could make Iowa proud of. And so after looking at about 200 different companies, looking at different franchises and everything yeah. like that, yeah. uh, it was just one of those things where I just didn't find that niche. I didn't find that, that thing that made me, feel, uh, made me feel like I could make a difference in all that much sense mm-hmm. uh, with my background. And then I ended up, one of my old colleagues uh, called me up and said, hey, I think you need to come over and meet this guy, one of my neighbors. And it was a guy that, uh, by the name of Todd Dunkel who founded Iowa Distilling Company. And he had a wonderful vision. He started this in his garage, for goodness sakes. Right. And no, that's where they all started. Yeah, naturally. I right? mean, no all Gates. the breweries. No, but no, seriously. Oh. We're, we're in the middle of a boom. I think we're, we can still say there's a boom. I think, you know, uh, in the 90s, it was, you know, cigars and wine, right? Oh. And in, in early 2000s, you can even say wine. But then all of a sudden, all these breweries started popping up. And then distilleries started popping up. It, it definitely is a boom. Well, distilleries are a little bit different, but they're taking the same trajectory as breweries in about a 10-year difference. Uh, so it's one of those things where a lot of the mistakes that breweries made, craft breweries, and continue to make are the same ones that we're starting to come up on in the distilling industry. So explain that. So what are some of the mistakes that the, the breweries have made? Well, not necessarily the breweries uh, themselves, but just on the big scale of things, the big named companies, the InBevs, the Coors, the the big boys in the world, if you right. will, they looked at craft brewing and they didn't see that it was a threat to them. They sat there and said, oh, we're going to own this market. We're going we're going to be able to play with their, them on price games and things like that. Right. They didn't realize that the resilience and the uh, benefit to these craft breweries where they had relationships within the communities. I mean, if you're in Winterset, a lot of the times you're going to drink a Winterset beer. Absolutely. If you're in Decorah, you're going to sit there and drink a Decorah beer. I mean, that's one of the reasons why Toppling Goliath was able to build such big momentum and mm-hmm. Pulpit Rock and Exile, for example. Right. Uh, now, those guys ended up becoming so big that they started taking out big market shares of these big brewers. And it was one of those things where you saw it with 312 over in Chicago. Right. And you saw it in other places. So in order to counteract that, the big boys had to spend the money and buy these uh, buy these breweries at high multiples because that's what they deserved at that point in time. That's the only way they were going to get that market share back. Now the big brew or the big distilleries kind of have a different viewpoint. I mean, we have some of the biggest companies in the world that are distilleries. Diageo out of, uh, out of London. You got Constellation Brands. You got Sazerac out of New Orleans. Uh, these guys saw what happened in the brewing industry. And they're going, wait a minute, we know that that small town whiskey is one of those whiskey lovers. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to know more about it. And these guys, uh, the Jack Daniels and the Maker's Marks, and I've been down to Louisville and I've seen some of these. They are amazing at what they do. They, they have are. a gold standard that is spectacular. But that gold standard whiskey that you're buying every day, sometimes those guys will venture off into that $40 bottle of craft bourbon because it was distilled three miles away from their house or right. it has a little bit of a story. And so now you're seeing some of these big boys uh, getting branches of venture capital where they're going in and either 
putting money into some of these small distilleries early on to help them build up. And then at the end, they'll actually buy the distillery out so that they can have that story. They can be part of that story, but they can keep that brand separate. So when you're at the store, when you're at the grocery store, when you're at the come and go, when you're at the, I always call them spirit shops because I hate liquor and hard alcohol. I think right, that right, they're right. both uh, very uh, just negative terms. Mm -hmm. So when you go to a spirit shop, you can't tell the difference between, uh, well, you can if you look at the labels and you know what you're looking for. But a lot of the times, even though they're big, uh, big spirits or they have big names and big bankrolls behind them, they still look like a small craft distillery made it. That label still looks the same way that it did five years ago when these guys started it in their garage. Right. And so we're seeing that momentum. We're also seeing the distilleries having different laws. I mean, for the first time since Prohibition, Iowa actually adjusted their uh, distillery laws uh, about four years ago. Really? Uh, that was the first time that we ever had that. Back in the 90s, Knapp was one of the famous, uh, was one of the big proponents of having a brew pub law allowing breweries to actually serve food. And he ended up passing that legislation back in the 90s, but it was specific for beer. Beer and wine have different laws. Distilleries, never had the voice up at the hill. They never had the aspect of, hey, we can make a difference in the Iowa economy. And now we only have 16, 18, 20, depending on the month. And especially with this pandemic going on, how right. we are going to make through. That's how strong our voice is. But we're much bigger now than we were five years ago. I mean, Cedar Ridge was one of the, was the first Iowa distillery in the state. And yeah. It was incorporated in the 2000, uh, 2005, I believe it was. So it's not that old. So let's talk about... Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Let's, uh, no, no. I You're love gonna it. You're going to have to edit a lot. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, no, I'm not. I, I, just, uh, I just wind you up and you go. Um, no, this is good because this is, I think, this is what it's all about is learning about Iowa business. Yeah. I need to back you up a little bit. Okay. Why are you so passionate about Iowa? Because, you know, I, I grew up in Indiana. I okay. grew up in a very small town in Indiana, and I, I, I too, played football. And, and football, uh, and I, um, I too, uh, have two state championship rings. Uh, but um, I had to throw that in. Good for you. But I grew up in Indiana, and as much as I, I love Indiana, at the time that I was 18... I wanted to get out. I wanted to see the yeah. world and everything like that. That that was my mindset. Um, you chose to stay in Iowa, but you truly have a passion for Iowa business. Why is that? I think it was one of the things that my dad always uh, instilled in me was Iowa was different. Iowa was one of those places where you could invite the person that you're working across the table, even if you don't, you disagree. And this used to be true in politics and it used to be true in everything else where uh, you could disagree, but you could still uh, show respect. And be friends. Yep, and be friends. When I was at Simpson, one thing that I failed to mention was uh, I did get the opportunity. Uh, Simpson afforded me the luxury of being able to study abroad a couple of times. That's so, awesome. So I did get out of, uh, out, of the, out of the state. The wonderful part about that is when I said Iowa to anybody over in England or I said anybody uh, over in Australia, I said Iowa, they had no clue what I was talking about. Right. And they didn't understand the difference. But by the time we left, they knew Iowa was a place they wanted to go. I mean, so much so that one of my good friends who's an entrepreneur around here, uh, his name's Ryan Gaharty. And what does uh, he own? <clears throat> he owns uh, Pitchley. It's a software company. And it's over in East Village. He's done a fantastic job. He worked in the venture capital uh, business for many years. 
he actually was from the same city, Perth, Australia, that I studied in. Oh, really? And he moved here. <laughs> really? Uh, and he ended up getting married to a wonderful woman, Kylie, here in Iowa. That's one of the reasons why he came to Iowa. But uh, he has seen the the Iowa just ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And between everything, like million cups here in Iowa, uh, that is a entrepreneurial pinpoint every week where people just go up and give a lecture mm-hmm. uh, on, on different businesses. Being able to sit there and say, hey, this isn't a pitch for money. This isn't a, a funding pitch. This is a help me. This is where I'm at, stuck in my business. Uh, people, th- we're not recreating the wheel here, people. I mean, this is one of those things that almost every business has, uh, their problems have had happened before. And so somebody out there might be able to give them a helping hand, might be able to give them uh, some, some wisdom that they've gained throughout the years. Uh, so it's one of those things, being able to see that in Iowa and being able to see the people that are affected and actually appreciate. Mm-hmm. You go out to, uh, to some of these bigger cities and it's expected. Yeah. And uh, you sit there and you come into some of these smaller companies and people appreciate it, not necessarily from a business owner's aspect, but as a coworker aspect. If there's something going on in your life, people are going to help you. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the same in some of these other areas. And it's more cutthroat and it's more... Uh, it's more, hey, this is the bottom line. And yes, the bottom line's important. Don't get me wrong. Profit's no. not a bad word. Yeah, no, no, no. But at the same time, at the end of the day, when you're when you're dead in the grave, people aren't going to talk about how many dollar, dollar signs you have. They're going to talk about what impact you made on lives. Uh, and that's one of the things that Iowa does. And so I want Iowa to be known throughout the country, throughout the world, as one of these places that we work hard, we play hard, but we also know how to get stuff done. Yeah. I'm trying to keep it PC here. <laughs> no, no, no. But, I, I think you're you're right on. I mean, I, I bounced around and I told you um, off off mic that this is my third time back. Yeah. Uh, I was most recently in Houston and I was just like, yeah, this is not my jam. Yeah. And I always wanted to live in Texas. I, I love the Texas pride. I'm all about <laughs> that. But Houston is not Texas, if you're wondering. <laughs> Um, so, uh, <laughs> uh, I love your passion. Um, you know, one of the things you brought up, uh, was, you know, you, you, you belong to this group and, um, everybody shares, which I think is awesome. What are some of the mistakes that, that, that you've made in business? Um, you know, that, that you just didn't anticipate and you actually had a pretty good runway. <laughs> I mean, when I say that, you, it's in your it's in your blood, it's in your genes. You've seen, you've run businesses. You know, I've run other businesses uh, when I was working with private equity firms, and yep. I made a mistake <laughs> with X business because I didn't know enough about X business. Yeah. So I'm assuming when you you know you bought Iowa a Distilling Company, I'm, there were some there were some things that you didn't know. Yeah. Uh, oh, there were a lot of things that I didn't know. And as my father always said, if I knew then what I know now, it probably wouldn't happen. But that's not true. Yeah, uh, That's not true in the sense that I love what I do. And I love the fact that I learn every day. This is a, a, a unique venture. And Todd had done a fantastic job building the business. It just was one of those things where uh, Todd had a full-time job. He had a family. Mm-hmm. He, had, uh, he had other requirements. And it was one of those, if we needed to make this to go to the next level, uh, he needed to bring in someone with that sales and marketing aspect. And so we had a really good baton handoff. Heck, I was texting with him the other day. We still have a really good relationship. Uh, but in the just things that I would have learned or things that I have learned over the years and what I have done uh, is, number one, 
finding the right people and letting them do what they do. That's right. One of the be- uh, one of the things that you don't hire good people to tell them what to do. You hire good people to have them tell you what to do. That's that's the reason why they're experts in the field. You can't be an expert in everything. Uh, and then number two, be willing to admit a mistake. I mean, it's really hard, uh, especially when you were really passionate about something or if you really felt that that was the right thing to do. But if you look at that 30,000 foot overview and you go, yeah, don't chase bad money with good. Yeah. I mean, it is one of those things that people do every day. And uh, it, it frustrates the heck out of you when you look back on it two years later. And I'm not saying that I still don't do that. I mean, there's still ideas in that marketing scheme that I'm going, okay, I think this is a great one. Let's roll with it. Let's roll with it. And then, you know, a year and a half later, uh, we have a saying on a t-shirt that just hasn't sold. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it's one of those things where I'm just like, oh, okay, well, it sounded really good in my mind enough no to, to put it on, you know, so many t-shirts. No but, doubt. Okay. Uh, so it, it's one of those things, willing to make a mistake and also willing to listen to other people, uh, listen to the people that you trust and make sure that you do the due diligence of the people that you surround yourself with. Uh, that's not necessarily just in life that or in business, but in life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of those things where uh, somebody one time told me that uh, if you're hanging around with five millionaires, you'll be the sixth. If you're hanging around with five people that are in shape, you'll be the sixth. If you're hanging around with five people that are great dads, you'll be the sixth. Uh, make sure that you're surrounding yourself so that you go in with the right attitudes uh, every day. I mean, it's, it's, not every day is going to be great, uh, but at the same time, you have that opportunity to choose uh, how you're going to make it better. And mm-hmm. if you can end the day better than you started the day, that's all we can ask for. That's pretty powerful stuff. I love that. So let's talk about uh, Let's talk about your business. Okay. You know, what makes you guys unique? What makes you different? Yeah. Uh, we are actually uh, about a nine-year-old company now. Uh, and it is one of those things where we're actually located in a historic hundred-year-old plus building down in Cumming, Iowa. Uh, it's small town Iowa. I think the last census. We're going to be different now because mm-hmm. we've had more people move in. Yeah. Uh, but we had over uh, just over 350 people or so. Mm. Uh, you know, 450 if you count the fleas and the dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we many uh, one of the nice parts about Iowa Distilling Company is that a lot of the times distilleries are going to hang their hat on one or two products they're gonna uh, that aged whiskey is something that's very big right now right uh, we have a wonderful one our Iowa distill distilling bourbon is great but at the same time we also manufacture seven different labels there so we have different flavor profiles for everybody so if you come in and you're looking for whiskey you're looking for bourbon we have that but at the same time if your counterpart wants to have something sweet if they want to have uh, some apple pie or if they want to have cinnamon whiskey uh, we're always sitting there uh, Thank goodness I'd knock on wood, but I've been told not to knock on things. Uh, <laughs> but sitting... we, will, we will knock on wood because I'm superstitious, so do it. Uh, but City View has awarded us the uh, best whiskey in Iowa for two years in a row with our Prairie Fire Cinnamon Whiskey. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things, that's our flagship. That's good. And so uh, we have a plethora of different flavor profiles for, for everybody. And we also have... Uh, we just have that passion where we're trying to figure out something that Iowans can be proud of to take across state lines that Iowans can be proud of to share because we know that we are only a part in this story. Uh, we're working in a very unique industry where people need to have discretionary income mm-hmm. in order to, uh, in order to enjoy our products. It's not, we're not creating bread. We're not creating flour or milk or anything like that. We're creating right. 
things for you to be able to celebrate. Celebrate life, celebrate uh, marriage, celebrate things where sometimes people always say that funerals are sad and everything like that. But no. I've seen so many people come in and have a celebration of yeah. life. And they're just coming in because it's like, hey, uh, our life is better because of that. And so we are creating that commonality. Uh, where people can come around and enjoy that conversation and enjoy that camaraderie and enjoy that personal aspect. Uh, now, the other, uh, the other aspect about it is we're also creating an environment where people can communicate in a world where it's so different. I mean, five years ago, we would have never guessed that people would come no. down and text for 20 minutes while they're sitting there enjoying a drink. It doesn't happen all that often in our place. But we also know that doesn't just happen in coming Iowa, but no. it happens in Davenport and it happens in Cedar Rapids. And one of the things that's awesome about our stuff is when you have that bottle there, you have that bottle of Zone or you have that bottle of Prairie Fire or Saints and Centers. I'm going to get all the names in there. You no, know, get well, them in. Roll, roll, roll. <laughs> so I would have still in company bourbon, uh, you know, rocket fuel. If you have any of those there, that starts off your conversation. That starts off something that actually engages another conversation to start on a topic that might go down a different loophole. And so we are unique in that aspect where we're giving you something to talk about. It's not necessarily just the standard, hey, I'll take whatever's in the well. That's not going to start up a conversation. Yeah. Or, uh, hey, I'm going to have uh, that that vodka that everybody knows because I don't want to seem cheap, but at the same time, I don't want to go with the expensive Tito's kind. Tito's is what you're saying. I'm, I'm not saying anything. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, I'm going to go with that. That's not a conversation starter. But when you have zone in your vodka and you're drinking it and you go, yeah, I really like it because it's Iowa. Uh, it's made in Iowa. It's corn based. I mm -hmm. mean, those those are different topic points that that are unique, but it's a really hard sale because that's not a conversation people are normally having. So you have to sit there and say, hey, I'm drinking zone because it's fun. Did you ever try their blackberry lemonade? And that goes on to that conversation where, yeah, we're, we're 40s and uh, 30s and 40 year olds, but we still sometimes like to act like we're 25. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> you know? No, and I so think it's everybody one, is. One of those things going, you know, it really goes well with cranberry because I can't taste it. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, or, I thought know, I was the only one that did. You that. know, it, it's one of my favorite tailgating cocktail right now is a uh, Zone Float, which is uh, Zone vodka, uh, whipped cream shaken, and then you put a little bit of NW cream soda, and it tastes like a root beer float. Really, you can't taste any of the vodka, so it's dangerous. Oh my! Uh, and I say that tailgating, it's more home gating nowadays. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> However, uh, it's one of those things where uh, that's one of the things that makes us different. The other aspect is, I mean. For our bourbon, we're using Iowa corn. We know the farmer that make, uh, that grows the corn down the road in Ankeny. That's huge. We, we pick it up in our truck. We bring it back. We uh, do the distillation and the fermentation and running of the stills. And it is a unique experience to walk in the door. And instead of having the typical uh, typical sports bar with TVs going on mm -hmm. and things to entertain you other than conversation, we have a big nine-foot wall with picture windows that overlooks stills that are coming over that actually have product coming out. We yeah, have, you got a cool scene there. You well, Definitely the vibe is very good. Well, we need to have you come down more often. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, COVID, how, much, how, how has COVID uh, affected your business? It's unique, man. Uh, COVID has been very unique, um, not something anybody could plan for. Definitely it's changed a lot of the ways that we're, uh, we're doing business in general. We have, when you say doing business, even how you just operate, just like with people and, and mask and, you know, <laughs> setting up 
tables and all of that. That that's the kind of things that you're talking about right there, right? Correct. Yep. And then you're going to talk about okay, this is how it's impacted us financially. Yep. Uh, we can go there. Yeah. <laughs> has uh, it affected you financially? Yeah. Uh, it, it has. It's changed the business model. Let me put it that way. The wonderful part about Iowa Distilling Company is we do have three different uh, three different legs to stand on. Right. I think that's that's a. Uh, wonderful thing about us because we do have client products and Mm -hmm. client products uh we manufacture and we bottle them and then they're representing them right uh we also have our own products and then we have the craft cocktail lounge right Uh, that craft cocktail lounge got hit hard i mean we we closed down saint pat uh, the day before saint patrick's day Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh we weren't open for several months and that that impacts us but we're a lot uh very thankful that we just have a little bit different business model because the state of Iowa actually is our classified as our distributor. The state of Iowa uh, is uh, one that we give our alcohol, finished alcohol to, and they're the ones that sell it to all the liquor license holders in the state of Iowa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have different stores. We have different companies, different Iowa companies, uh, Hy-Vee and Fairway and Come and Go and Casey's and all those guys that actually support us by putting our bottles in their store. And so that is where our main business is. Uh, a lot of craft distilleries around the country. I mean, they're looking at 40 to 60% of their revenue comes in from bottles sold out the door. Right. Uh, so we didn't have that business model because we have other retail locations that are selling us. So when we closed down the craft cocktail lounge, yeah, it was a hit. Uh, it wasn't something that, uh, that we were looking forward to. But what we noticed even more was uh, a lot of the places that supplied for the bars were being hit as well. Mm-hmm. Those bars were being hit. So yes, it impacted the bottle sales. Uh, but we still had people that were sitting there drinking. Everybody talks about how many more bottles are being sold through, you know, how mm-hmm. many, how much alcohol is being sold. Well, yeah, a lot more alcohol in bottle form is being sold through the grocery stores and the convenience stores and the liquor stores. Uh, however, has it made up for what is lost in the, in the bar world? No. Has it made up for what's uh, lost in the wholesalers that were selling to the bars? No, there's still that revenue that's that's out there. I mean, uh, you know just as well as I do, money doesn't uh, grow on trees, and it also doesn't evaporate. It's somewhere. <laughs> no, absolutely. So but dig I, in. I, I I am gonna dig in. Good. Um, because I, I I think you're a guy that can talk about this. I oh, wouldn't do this with gosh. anybody. No, and I mean this because just kind of some of the conversations we've had. I don't ever want this to get political, but you have you have a governor right now that has a job to do. Yep. And whether whether you're I, I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat, this is a business conversation. Yep. OK, she's getting heat from up above yep. to, to do make some of the decisions she you know had to make. Yeah. She's filtered that and kind of watered that down by watering that down a little bit. What has been affected are bars like your cocktail lounge that that maybe don't serve food or whatever. And then you have these coffee shops that are open. I mean, are we are we missing the boat this way? I mean, do you feel like she handled it the right way? I mean, I, I really want your from a business owner, your view on it, because you could easily throw your arms up and say, yeah, she handled it wrong. It affected my business. But you also got to look at the other side. And I think you're a guy that can do that. Yeah, I think you had to do something, uh, whether it was the right or the wrong. I think uh, we're going to find that out later on, uh, because uh, being part of the restaurant association, even noticing how many restaurants are actually not going to make it through this pandemic. Yeah, uh, that is a very big number. And that doesn't only impact the business owner, 
but all the uh, employees and everything that depends on that, the, the people that serve the food to them. Heck, I was even talking to an egg manufacturer that was saying that this was one of the worst times uh, for them because they supplied raw eggs for products that were actually being sold to restaurants. That I mean, it's, it's one of those oh, things. Oh, I never, where, it's like, yeah, down the chain. Yeah, so the agriculture industry was impacted because the restaurants were closed. Now, like I said, I don't think you're going to be able to say if it's the right or the wrong thing. You have to do something now. And the history books are the ones that are going to tell you if it was the right or the wrong thing to do. Absolutely. Uh, and so it's going to be interesting uh, to kind of see how that changes. The thing that I'm hoping is that while, we, while this happens, we can come up with some thought process or some way. And I love that you're doing an entrepreneur po uh, podcast because this is still encouraging people to think outside the box and to do something uh, if they have a passion for it. Mm -hmm. Because I was afraid, and I've voiced this to several people in the industry and several people in the government and everything like that, going, I don't want to see that 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old that's going uh, that wants to go to culinary school at DMAC uh, and wants to own his own restaurant see the very worst that could possibly happen and say, yeah. I don't want to risk that. Right. And we're going, uh, we have an opportunity to cultivate some of that by uh, creating programs, being able to uh, help out. So once the industry gets back, once restaurants are able to open back up at full capacity and everything like that, if we can now harness that environment, say, hey, we're going to help restaurants get back. We're going to help new restaurants. We're going to help uh, new bars. We're going to help new distilleries, things like that. Uh, because that way we can sit there and say, okay, we're going to cultivate innovation. We're going to keep people in Iowa. We're going to keep that talent around instead of having it being harvested and picked off all over uh, all over the place or having them go into jobs that are jobs you know mm -hmm. careers and jobs are different yeah. and passions and jobs are different there's a lot of people that are working jobs that really have the talent to change the world i know that seems overused but changing the world doesn't mean that you have to uh, that you have to end malaria Changing the world could just mean that you impact seven other people that impact seven other people, and that ripple effect is huge. And changing the world could be me getting on my bike, riding to coming Iowa, and sitting down and having a cocktail by myself so I can gather my thoughts. <laughs> I mean, that could, that could, that's changing the world. I mean, yep. things it's simple things like that. And doing something like that helps my daughters get ballet shoes, which then could help, help exactly. them. I mean, it, it's one of those things. So, uh, so yeah, uh, I, I think in a long-winded way, have I... Uh, you I answered not, the question. Might not have answered it in, in the, uh, yeah, she did the right thing and she did the wrong thing, but I do think. She provides, had to do something. Yeah, it provides an opportunity. Uh, it provides an opportunity for us as long as we can capitalize on that opportunity before it goes away. Okay, so um, we, we look at capitalizing. And again, I'm throwing some hard ones at you. You're looking right. at capitalizing. I mean, this definitely weeds out the ankle biters, right? That the reality is, is it's a cleansing, right? Mm -hmm. My concern is... And I, I think if I were in your shoes is, is it going to get back to normal? Are things going to go back to normal? Because, you know, you look at, I'm somebody that has disposable income. I have no children. Uh, I have an amazing dog. Uh, but, I mean, I have disposable income. What kind of dog? Let me ask. Uh, a red fox lab. It's a, a lab and it's red. And people laugh because he is red. Oh, what's his name? Axel. He's named after Bobby Axelrod, uh, the TV show Billions, if you ever mm, want to watch. My it. Fox Red Lab was named Gunner. Ah, 
Ah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that dog. <laughs> you know what's so funny? And, I, and, and I'm going to leave this in because this is a public service <laughs> announcement. So when the farmer's market was going on, so I lived downtown. Okay. And I, I, when I moved back here, I moved in the exact same place because uh, it was during COVID. And I just, I, 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 you know, people are trying to sell me a house and like through it a phone and everything. And I'm like, you know what? That's not, I'm not going to buy a house that way. So yeah. I'm going to just go back to where I, I live. So uh, I live downtown and I would go to the farmer's market and I would see people that had, and it is, it's Fox Red Lab. Uh, they would have them and I would go up to them specifically and I go, what kind of dog is that? And they're like, oh, he's a mutt. We got him from like, um, you know, a shelter or whatever. And I'm like, no, he's a Fox Red Lab. And they're like, yeah, never heard of it. And then I'd pull it up on my phone and they were like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And they have that white on the chest. I mean, but I've, I revealed people's dogs to them more <laughs> than they have. Like there are, there's more of them out there that people just think that are mutts. Well, I think Fox Red wasn't actually a, a classification with the AKC for a long time. Until uh, recently, yeah, yeah. Because they were classified as yellow. Uh, and so it was one of those things where Fox Red just got brought in. Yeah. And uh, it was, it's really interesting because you don't see a lot of people that distinguish Fox Red Labs. So I appreciate you. Yeah, uh, no, you I'm going to bring them down. I love it. Just can't bring them in. <laughs> <laughs> we'll walk around. I, I, you know, I'd love to, but we got bottles going on on the other side. Oh, that's If he's true. a service dog, if yeah. he's a service dog, more than welcome. Yeah, we'll get him a sweater. <laughs> uh, so, um, are things going to go back to normal? Great question. I think uh, things are going to change. Uh, thing, the way that people are doing business, the way that people are living is going to be different. Uh, whether that's, I'm not going to use that term that everybody else is. The uh, new normal. Yep. I don't want to use that because think about this in just history of the last 20 years, right? There has been changes every time there's been a monumental something happen. Right. And have we called it a new normal for a little while, but then it just becomes normal. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those things. Think about flying after 9-11. Yeah. Yeah. It was really different. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, I mean, people are still doing it. And so uh, after this, and one of the questions is, what is after? I mean, it's one of those things where uh, once we wrap our minds around it, we know more about it. I think it's going to be, hey, this is the world that we live in. And this is how we commence doing business. And this is what we do for fun. And this is what we do for recreation. And this is what we do for work. So whether that be, uh, you know, the, the normal being work from home, and I saw a study that said Walmart actually is selling a heck of a lot more uh, tops than they are bottoms nowadays because mm. everybody's working from home, <laughs> which, which I laugh about. No, that, that makes total sense. <laughs> but that's going to change the business model for the manufacturers of clothes, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Uh, so it's going to change how we do work. And then on recreation, what are we going to do? Uh, we love that we have a bike trail right next to us because that bike trail has been busier we thought with Ragbri being canceled this year, because people normally rode mm -hmm. before Ragbri getting into shape, and then after Ragbri, it died it off. It died off. Uh, now we see that trail going gangbusters almost every night. Uh, when it's nice out, we see people out there biking all the time. And uh, I know that our marketing director works with the parks department, and I think she said that parks have been used more than 300% more. It's uh, really neat to see. So that, that is just normal now. And is that going to be normal next year? I don't know. Uh, but I have a feeling that people are, are enjoying that. 
So what about alcohol? I think that's where you kind of drove this back. What's going to be the new normal in alcohol and bars and restaurants and mm -hmm. everything like that? Uh, I think restaurants, the ones that are going to survive and the ones that are going to thrive are going to create ways in order to make it so that they can have an experience that meets with guidelines, but also meets with people's expectations. And that's where I think a lot of this problematic thought process is because perception is reality. If you sit there and you have feet six, uh, tables six feet apart and your clientele say, hey, I don't know if that's six feet, you need to put tables seven feet apart so mm -hmm. that they get comfortable. You're right. And if you have clientele that say, hey, I don't want to wear a mask, then you have to go, okay, I need to follow these regulations, but I'm going to put them six feet and I'm just going to be really close. Uh, you know, it, it's one of those things going, okay, uh, it's, it's going to be different. And people are going to have that choice of where they want to go and where they want to spend their discretionary income. Uh, because discretionary income is what we what we work for. We work to live, not live to work, right? Yeah. And so if we work to, to sit there and enjoy going out and having a crazy club, uh, is that environment going to come back? Might not be for a while, but, uh, you know, I, I can imagine that somewhere, somehow, somebody's going to create a new music festival that you're going to be able to be mosh pitting and shoulder to shoulder wherever you want to go yeah. uh, someday. But uh, it, it might just look a, a little bit different on the, on the front end. So uh, I, I, I don't think getting back to normal is, uh, is what we're looking to do. We're trying to define what normal is now. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. Um, because I, I think when you look at just kind of the reset of all of this, mm -hmm. um, you know, I was here <clears throat> two years ago and when I would ride through Gray's Lake there, I, I, I had a vision of what Gray's Lake was. Right. And when you ride through Gray's Lake now, it's completely different. You see people, you know, sh social distancing, sitting apart, but yeah. they're utilizing the park. They're utilizing the space. Yeah, you talk about biking. Um, I mean, all these bike shops, they're, they're, they're sold out. Yeah. They are totally sold out of, of inventory. So that, that kind of thing is, is, is really good. Where I would be concerned from a restaurant or, or a bar standpoint is I'm somebody that you know, it, it, it's more expensive for me to go to the grocery store and buy groceries and make a sandwich than for me to just run and get a sandwich. Yeah. So, but what I found is I do it less than I did before because when I was down in Houston, I was quarantined. Like people talk about quarantine here in Iowa. You don't, y'all don't know what quarantine is. <laughs> I mean, the yell in <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it is, it is, it is a different, different feel. Yeah. And I, I mean, you guys shut down, and I think the actual shutdown was noon on St. Patrick's Day for uh, the, and I had friends that were FaceTiming me, and they were all partying, and I was, I'd already been quarantined for three weeks. Yeah. So, um, so I think that's a, a really, really, really good, good point. What well, kind of let a, me, go ahead. Let me ask you a question. Sure. I'm going to throw this back here. Uh, you're now in a, in a different market than was four or five years ago mm -hmm. uh, is the radio industry with all this new podcasting and all this new streaming and all this new web-based everything uh, and even being able to get on the radio uh, get your radio station your local radio station on your phone but people have so many more different options right are we ever going to get back to the normal where everybody where 99 percent of the population is going to be listening to radio no is that uh, normal no I, I i think the new normal is is that we have to we have to evolve and I think one of the things that makes our age group, and when I say that, I'm saying that everybody in this room is generally the same age. 
Okay, mm-hmm. we grew up, our family grew up, we grew up in the Midwest, we, we have those values, right? Yeah. We've had to evolve over a couple different things. Yeah. And I think that's when you sit there and you talk about the, the greatest generation when they went through two wars or three wars uh, and, and things like that. They had yeah. to evolve, they had to pivot, they had to move. They, they didn't have those catchphrases then, it was just living, that's what we did. Yeah. You would talk to your, your grandmother and you know that's what they did. They used peach paper for toilet paper when they ran out. That, exactly. Yep. I mean, that's what they did. Um, where we have to pivot and make fancy words <laughs> and do all this. But what we're seeing and our generation is seeing, and I'm, I'm grateful that, for this because I never want to retire. Like, I want to work on my own time. Yep. I, don't, I never want to retire. Yeah. Um, but that gives our generation that ability because there's generations out there that haven't been able to do that. And when you're answering your question, because I'm taking it long too, is radio has had to evolve. You have to be better. What is different, and you can go up and down the dial, and one of the reasons I came to this group in particular is we're doing here, everything is local, and it, it is Iowa-based, okay? We work for a company, it's called Saga Communications. You can look it up. But our name is Des Moines Radio Group. And the reason we can run our business the way that we want to run our business. And we have live air talent in here. We have live morning shows. We are the only group in town that does that. We still do that. We're holding on to that. Yes, do people listen to podcasts? Yes. Do people listen to, you know, uh, Sirius? Yes, there's all these different things, but you got to do it better. And you said it. And I think even with the millennials right now, and everybody knocks the millennials, and I don't, I think there are some fair knocks, but millennials want what they want. They're not going to sit there and if you pour them a drink and it's not exactly the way that they want it, they're going to, they're going to push it back. I might drink it and be like, eh, I might not come back here. They're going to push it back, right? Radio, everything is the same way. You need to do it better than the next guy. And that's, that's the bottom line right now. And I think when you look at COVID, you, the people that have been on this podcast, from Dennis to bar owners to you, that's the one thing that you realize is you got to do it better. Because if you're not doing it better, there's other people out there. you know. And, I, and I'm going to flat say it. There's a website out there that is cracking me up. Look it up. And what they did was McDonald's has their triple cheeseburger, right? I saw the commercial and I was like, oh, yeah. And I'm not much of a fast food guy, but I looked at that thing and I was like, oh, yeah. But it's people taking pictures of what they actually got with the triple cheeseburger. And I don't know why. It's just funny because it it, it, it looks nothing like the commercial. And it's just to me is funny. Marketing at its finest, right? Yeah. but, But you get it. And I think when you get into business, I think a lot of people get into it for the money. Mm-hmm. That's not why you get into it. You get into it for the lifestyle. You get into it to change the world. You get into it for those things. The money will come if you do it the right way. Yeah. And it's interesting that that thought process that you just kind of talked about, that evolution. I love it, by the way. I love how you, uh, how you phrase that. Uh, I'm going to have to start using it more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, it's interesting because it also allows you to experiment. 
It, it yeah. gives you that opportunity. It, Saga uh, Communications lets Des Moines Radio do their thing yeah. because you've made enough of a pitch or uh, enough of a uh, impact saying, hey, we're going to do it this way because we think our demographic is going to respond to it because we have talent in-house. We have talent that actually shops the same high vs that our listeners do. Mm -hmm. uh, you're actually going to be able to see our sales staff enjoying your cocktails at the bars. They're mm -hmm. not just trying to come in there and, and you know sell you on something. They're coming in because they actually like the cocktails that you're creating or yeah. the spirits that you're creating. So uh, being it's able to- community. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because if Saga ends up saying, hey, yeah, this isn't pushing, moving the needle enough for us, then they can sit there and go, we're going to do a different experiment. Right. Um, but at the same time, you have a vested interest and everybody, your boss and your boss's boss and everybody else in here has a vested interest to sit there and do it more than just at their desk. This is, like you said, it's part of a lifestyle because it's one of those things where if somebody sits there and asks them on a Saturday, yeah, they're not working, but they probably have one of your stations up on their radio because right. they want it to succeed. And because they want it to succeed, somebody sees that and they go, I want that. Yeah, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of a community that actually cares. So that rolls right back into Iowa. Mm -hmm. what, is, what is it about Iowa? Yeah, we might not all agree all the time. Uh, and I mean, this election coming up is proven that fact. Absolutely. Uh, however, at the same time, at the end of the day, I hope that we can sit down at the uh, edge of the table Go, you're not going to change my mind. I'm not going to change your mind. But at the same time, let's just talk about something. Uh, let's let's understand where we, each other come from and we can appreciate it. And then we can still be friends. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's quite interesting. And in business, uh, yeah, we do have competitors out there. But I've always said, uh, and I get on the phone with different distilleries all over the state uh, and different aspects that do different products, do same products. I mean, do competing mm -hmm. products. And we sit there and talk about, hey, how, how has this worked for you? Or how have you gotten into here? And it's one of those things where we go, okay, yeah, uh, until Iowa distilleries can have at least 10% of the Iowa market. And think of it this way. The Iowa market, the whole state of Iowa is probably a smaller fraction than the city of Chicago. Mm -hmm. It really <laughs> so, is, yeah. So when Iowa distilleries, when we have uh, 16, 18, 20 uh, distilleries, and we don't even have 10% of the market, uh, then it's one of those things where a rising tide raises all ships. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to sit there, and if, if you don't like mine, I'm not going to please everybody. I wish I could, but that's just not life. Uh, but I am certainly going to sit there and say, hey, have you tried this? Have you tried that? There, you know, uh, There's Foundry Distilling that you can ride your bike down to. There's Cedar Ridge. There's Mississippi River. There's mm -hmm. S&B Farms. Uh, there, there's just a lot of different options. And I go, okay. Uh, a lot of our marketing is, hey, uh, local. Local doesn't mean Des Moines. Local means Iowa. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to sit there and tell the people in Cedar Rapids and people in, uh, in Council Bluffs the same message going, hey, it's important to us, for you, because that $10 that you spend on that, uh, that $20 that you spend on that bottle of vodka, uh, that actually comes back and works back into your economy. That works back into your community. That works back into something that's probably going to be helping you somewhere down the road. Local is important. And local is not something that we just throw out as a marketing term. Uh, local is something that's really important to us. And so we want to sit there and let people know that, yeah, we're the ones that are at the grocery store next to you. We're the ones that have the kids that go to school next to you. And we're also the ones that if, if you need something, uh, we're, we're going to try to be there. And uh, we're also, I mean, 
for goodness sakes, two things that I do want to mention before we uh, close sure. down is uh, one thing we did for the bars, just because we knew that the bars were being impacted, was we worked with the Iowa Restaurant Association, and they had a grant that gave money directly to the employees. Oh, that's uh, great. That uh, In Iowa. And that was the big thing, because there's a lot of big companies that gave tons of money, millions of dollars. But to, it went. To, and we said we wanted to keep it in Iowa. So we went to the Iowa Restaurant Association, and we said for every bottle we sell, uh, for this time period, we're going to give you a dollar for every bottle we sell throughout the state so you can actually impact the workers now. And it wasn't one of those things where it was a grant that you had to apply for and uh, you'd get it six weeks later. This would help you pay rent now. That's awesome. Uh, the other thing that we do is every year we actually, I love this story and I'm going to hit it on the air somehow. Uh, but, well, you're coming back. So, I mean, uh, you just know that. One of uh, our bourbon, uh, we use uh, mash from Iowa, from an Ankeny farmer here. Okay. Uh, and what happens is after we get done with that mash, we actually, one of our uh, one of our teammates, his son raises cattle for 4-H. And so we actually give the distiller's grains to him. Oh, and wow. he brings it back and it feeds it to his cattle. And last year during the Warren County Fair, they got reserve grand champion with the cattle. And <laughs> nice. uh, we actually bought one of the cows. Uh-huh. And we had it processed in Story City. And then we gave it to the food banks all around Iowa. Oh, that's great. Uh, we, teamed up with, uh, we teamed up with different corporations that we work with. And we gave different amounts to different organizations. Uh, this year, we already did the same thing. Even though the Warren County Fair didn't happen, we still honored our commitment to the uh, to the to the farm and said, we'll still buy a cow and we're working on exactly how we're going to be donating that beef. Nice. Uh, so it's one of those things where we really want to give back, but we want to keep it in Iowa. And uh, it's really challenging to sit there and get that message out when you're trying to impact so many people. And this is going to go into the marketing side of entrepreneur a little bit. But one of the biggest challenges is doing the most for the most amount of people, but you don't get, and I'm not saying that everything that you do charity wise has to get uh, promoted or anything like that. But at the same time, when you do so many different things, like give thousands of dollars to one organization, but yeah. then it gets dwarfed by millions of dollars on a national organization, or you give a cow to the needy, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, why didn't why didn't you do more? Right. And you're like, okay, we're a small, small business. Yeah, we're doing what we can. But at the same time, we're working on, okay, how can we make a bigger impact so that we can get more people to know about it, so that we can get more people... Uh, to be aware of it. And one of the reasons why we worked at the Restaurant Association was to bring awareness to this program. It wasn't necessarily just the money we gave them. It was to bring awareness so that other people could actually join in and do do things that would help the service industry right now. Because that that is an industry that is being decimated. We it also, is. We have music musicians that we play down at the shop. Even though we have you know half the capacity that we used to, we're still bringing musicians in and playing the musicians so that they can keep up one of our musicians had a release of an album on saint patrick's day oh no and he had all of his venues lined up for the next six months and he couldn't support his own uh his own release and so it was like okay how can we do that we put him up on facebook and we had him take over our page and say okay play your music so you can get it out to at least our fan base and you can start selling your records online and this is this is these are the things that we need to be doing i mean that that's the community that we're yep. talking about in that locality aspect yep. of it so that, well, that, those are the important things that uh, I, I don't want to say that we don't get credit for them because we're not doing it for the credit, but we want to make people aware so that more people can participate. Absolutely. Well, so, we're going to end on a positive note. That was great. You awesome. are coming back. <laughs> All right. You definitely are coming back because uh, we had some really good conversation. I'm sure that went over the 15-minute podcast. No, it, it, no, it's fine. It's fine. We, it's great. No. 
<clears throat> you did a great job. Thanks for coming in. And um, appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll bring you back. And Th thanks, thanks for doing this. This is awesome to have somebody in uh, in Iowa talking about it, especially with somebody that's been around the country. Uh, it's truly an honor to have you back. Thank well, you. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Episode six is a brand new restaurant here in Des Moines called Opa. They join us on the next podcast. Have a great week.